The Tom Woods Show, episode 1357. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, if you're like me, when you criticize the Federal Reserve, you get all these lackey-style responses. Why the Fed has made the economy more stable. You don't want to go back to the 19th century, do you? All kinds of arguments like that. Well, you can blow those and others out of the water with my free ebook, Our Enemy, the Fed. Grab it at OurEnemyTheFed.com. Hi, everybody. Tom Woods here. Today is a happy episode, let's say. We're not... uh, dealing with bad guys. We're not fighting evil. I want to highlight a couple of people you may know about already, but some of my new folks may not. And even if you do know about them, you may not realize just what treasures we have in them. And I want to start off by saying there's an organization out there that I haven't had any connection to, but that I have generally wished well over the years that apparently is having some financial difficulty. And one of the people over there was complaining that libertarians don't open up emails about good news. If you have an email that's sent out with a subject line that's very provocative about, you know, going after your enemies or something, then they open that. But they don't open emails about good news. And this is just a problem libertarians have, and it's very frustrating. And there was somebody who left the organization, and part of his frustration was that, well, just libertarians are just hopeless. This is not exclusively a libertarian problem. This is the human race. That's the way it is. We've heard this. This is a cliche at this point. I'm surprised anyone could think this is a problem for libertarians exclusively. We've heard it over and over about people complaining that bad news sells. And why don't these nice, good, heartwarming stories make it onto the news? This has been going on for for a long, long time. So given that I also send out a lot of email, as you know, with my email lists, The question is, how have I dealt with this? Because I have to deal with the same phenomenon, that people open up the emails that look like you're giving somebody a bloody nose, and they don't open up the emails where you say, hey, here's a great victory, or here's something we really should cheer. And I could approach this in two ways. I could shake my fist at the universe, or I could just adapt. I could just write better subject lines. I could adapt myself to the needs and the characteristics of my audience. That's my job. As somebody with a message to spread, it's my job to tailor that message in a way that that message will be heard. So in other words, I can deal with this situation productively by doing that, or I can throw up my hands at the sins of the human race. And I just think that's a really childish and immature way to handle what I'll grant is a serious problem. Anyway, that's just uh, by means of prologue here because I'm, I'm devoting this episode to good news. And I just had that on my mind, this whole, well, nobody cares about good news. They do. But you got to, you know, for one reason or another, you got to package it a certain way to get it through to them. But they do. So today's a little bit of good news about a couple people. And as I say, you may know these people, but they're better than you realize. So the first one is Michael Bolden. Michael Bolden was the guest on Tom Woods Show episode number one. And he is the founder and executive director of the 10th Amendment Center. Now, Michael is, as it turns out, this is actually what gave me the idea for the episode. 
The second person I want to talk to you about is not a member of my supporting listeners group, but Michael just joined the other day, and he's now inside the Tom Woods Show Elite chatting it up with everybody, and we're all thrilled to have him there. So join Michael at supportinglisteners.com and me, and we have a lot of fun in there. And I was really pleased. Of course, he didn't have to do that. I mean, I've been supporting the 10th Amendment Center, but that's I just want to do that. And Michael was very generous to, to do this and to come in and, and hang around with my folks. And it just reminded me about our experiences together. <laughs> First of all, he started the 10th Amendment Center years before I knew him. I think it, it would have been, I'm doing this from memory, 2006 or seven, somewhere around there. I'm thinking 2006. But he started this 10th Amendment Center during the Bush years. And when things really started taking off under Obama, of course, his progressive critics were saying, well, where were you in the George W. Bush days? And he said, well, running the 10th Amendment Center, <laughs> doing exactly what I'm doing now. He's one of these people who actually has principles. He actually favors decentralized solutions, no matter what the problem is. And so across the board, you can see with his 10th Amendment Center, the kinds of issues they've dealt with to try to see how the states can push back when the federal government is doing its usual terrible things. So it could be guns or Obamacare. It could be right to try laws, which now we now have one passed at the federal level, but we didn't have that at the time. There are laws pertaining to hemp, marijuana, medical marijuana, surveillance, militarization, asset forfeiture, food sovereignty, all kinds of interesting issues that can't be easily pigeonholed. And he's helped to shape model legislation. He's got state chapters around the country, and he's doing it on a shoestring budget, but with tremendous effectiveness. He's had uh, great victories all over the country, and he's a very, very effective messenger. I will never forget speaking with him at an event in, uh, in the Midwest years ago in which uh, we were talking to a Tea Party group that had invited us. Michael got up there and gave a thought experiment about, let's say you had the federal government clamping down on guns and you had these heroic businesses that sprung up in defiance of that ban and continued on and soldiered on and everybody was all worked up and excited about how great this would be. And he says, you know, this is actually already happening, except it's not guns. It's marijuana. And they, they, you know, they were all deflated. Well, what? And so he explained that that's exactly what was going on with uh, various dispensaries in different states. And he was saying, now, look, the gun people could stand to learn something from these marijuana people. And by the end, they gave him a standing ovation. And that was not the message they were expecting to get. But doggone it, they liked what he had to say. And I remember thinking, this guy, this guy is something else. I ended up giving a, a slightly more provocative speech, as it turns out, but I was buoyed by his speech. <laughs> you know, I thought, okay, I can get away with this after all with these people. They're going to be begging to have Bolden back after they hear what I have to say. But he was such a trailblazer in that way at that time, in the way that he could talk to a right-wing audience, but yet hit them in ways they'd never experienced before. And likewise, and this is the real kicker, he could speak to a progressive audience. And even though he, you know, there was a time when, I mean, maybe even to this day, he's demonized in certain official opinion quarters as being an extremist of some sort because he favors the 10th Amendment. Um, this is not at all an accurate description of Michael. I mean, especially a lot of you know him. 
I mean, he is about the most easygoing, sweet, wonderful person, just a great person all around. He in no way fits the stereotype they're trying to attach to him. But some of you may know my favorite story about Michael, which is that Mother Jones magazine was set to write a hit piece on him because, of course, he favors decentralization. We all know that's bad. That's like slavery. You know, that's about the level. So they go to do this interview with him. And what do they find out? He's a great, charming guy that's, who's impossible to dislike. And so they write this basically puff piece about him. Uh, maybe I'll link to it on the show notes page, tomwoods.com slash 1357. It's great. And they, they quote him accurately. And they make clear that he has friends across the ideological divide and that this is not a quirk. This is the natural outcome of where he stands. There's always some issue where somebody favors local control. So they wrote this sweet little piece about him. Now, as I have said before, this is not a talent that Woods has, right? I'm a reasonably charming fellow and everything, but not so charming that I get columns like this written about me. And then, of course, he's doing this. He's taking positions like state nullification that are off the three-by-five card of allowable opinion, even though Thomas Jefferson certainly believed in them, and I think his opinion matters more than, you know, I don't know, Anderson Cooper's, for instance. He's willing to take these positions, stand by them, and struggle along, even though it means he doesn't get big foundation support, he doesn't get billionaire donors, he doesn't get any of that stuff. But he works very, very hard. In fact, I worry about him sometimes. He works so hard. And he produces results. And remember the idea that we talked about in one of the episodes. uh, We devoted a whole episode to it, and then I've brought it up from time to time. The NSA facility in Utah, which requires like millions of gallons of water a day to cool its machines. Michael came up with the idea, why doesn't Utah just turn off the water? There's nothing requiring them to turn on the water. So in other words, there are things that could be done on the state level that at the very least would put a roadblock. At least it would put a roadblock in front of the federal government. Because some people could say, oh, well, they could always get around all these different things. But at least they'd have something to get around. What have the big think tanks in Washington accomplished? Have they produced anything that's done anything to stop the juggernaut? Nothing whatsoever. And when it comes to the 10th Amendment Center, they act like the 10th Amendment Center doesn't even exist. Michael doesn't exist. He's not to be acknowledged. If our arguments are to be acknowledged, it's dismissively and using arguments that we've answered a million times and that would have been embarrassing in the 19th century to raise. But my point is, this is a guy who, with no institutional backing and almost no budget, basically no budget, started something called the 10th Amendment Center and built it up into something that really matters. So he regularly gets quoted in well, every major publication can imagine, makes television appearances as being the executive director of the 10th Amendment Center. And the 10th Amendment Center is just run out of his apartment in California. He's one guy. And he reminds us that it's not a cliche to say one person can make a difference. He is one person and he's made a tremendous difference. And he's done it on his own terms. He's done it without cowering. He's done it without trying to curry favor with the establishment or with right-wing think tanks or any of that stuff. He just does it. He's got the same message no matter who's president, no matter who's running the show. It's the same message all the time. 
and he just does it day after day after day. That kind of a guy deserves our support, which is why I support the 10th Amendment Center every month with a substantial donation every single month and why I recommend that you support the 10th Amendment Center uh, over at 10thamendmentcenter.com, 10th spelled out, T-E-N-T-H, 10thamendmentcenter.com. Now, the second guy I want to talk to you about, you may be more familiar with, but you just, I don't know, maybe people don't quite get how great some of the folks in our corner are. We have a very deep bench in the so-called liberty movement. It's not just Peter Schiff and Judge Napolitano. I mean, we have a really deep bench in this movement. And one thing that's made me happy about the Tom Wood Show over the years is that with all the guests I've had on, I've been trying to show how deep our bench is. And that a lot of these people have tiny audiences but deserve to have huge ones. And if there's anything I can do to give them that bigger audience, then I'd like to do it. Now, before we get to our second guy, a brief word from The Simpsons. I used this in one of my emails the other day. I think I would have 10 to 15% less to say to people if I didn't have Simpsons references to throw in there. I don't do it on the show very much. But the other day in one of my emails, I used this one, which is, Homer is being offered a matter transporter. It actually, you walk into it and it transports you. It transports matter to another place. I mean, this is out of science fiction, obviously. He's being offered it for $2. And he looks it over and he says, $2 and it only transports matter. I'll give you 35 cents for it. It's so ridiculous. He's so stupid that it causes you pain, right? That's why I love that show. He's so stupid, it causes me pain. How could you resist $2 for a matter transporter? Well, anyway, the point is, we may not be surrounded by matter transporters, but in this day and age, we are surrounded by miracles, technological miracles that are so abundant, we just kind of take them for granted. We don't stop and realize, wait a minute, whoa, 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 this is amazing. I should be doing this. So for instance... From the comfort of your own home, you can enrich your curiosity, creativity, and career by learning or mastering a skill through Skillshare. They've got over 27,000 classes. And as you look through those classes, you'll discover countless ways to fuel your curiosity, creativity, and career. So just here on the homepage right now, I'm looking at fundamentals of DSLR photography, how to make an effective presentation, ink drawing techniques, Mastering Illustrator, Creative Writing, How to Be a Freelancer, not to mention any business skill you could imagine, computer platform, whatever, they've got it over at Skillshare. For two months, you can get it for less than Homer Simpson paid for his matter transporter. That's right. Tom Woodshow listeners are getting a special offer from Skillshare. Two months of access to Skillshare for free. That's right. They are giving my listeners two months of access to over 27,000 classes for free. To start your two months of access, go to Skillshare.com slash Woods free. That's Skillshare.com slash Woods free to start your two months now. Skillshare.com slash Woods free. All right, folks, now we are going to go into the second person, and I'm going to really embarrass this second person. Uh, The first, well, I guess I'm embarrassing them both, but this one is the guy I work with a lot, and that's Bob Murphy. And I I know people like Bob and they appreciate what he does, but sorry, you don't like him enough. You should like him more. And I hereby order you to like Bob Murphy more. And I'm not even going to do, you know, we have this banter back and forth where we call each other names. And I'm actually temporarily suspending that. 
He shouldn't get used to that, of course, because on the Contra Cruise this year, as you know, Bob and I are doing an Oxford-style debate. And yeah, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crush that guy and you're going to have to carry him out on a stretcher. Of course, we know that. But for now, I'm suspending all that. Bob's an extremely impressive guy all around. I mean, not, not just that he's a genius, which of course he is. I mean, if, if you could see the level at which he's able to carry on a discussion, it would blow you away, okay? He's actually bringing things down 10 notches for us in the episodes that we do. So we know Bob's got his PhD in economics from New York University, but what we maybe don't know is that, for instance, during the financial crisis of 2008, there were a lot of free market professors who were just sitting in their offices, twiddling their thumbs during their office hours. Bob, meanwhile, wrote what I am convinced must have been more column inches on what caused the financial crisis, why what they're doing is just going to embed deeper sicknesses into the economy, and what should be done instead than any other professional economist working in our tradition. In fact, I don't even think it's a contest. Bob just kept churning it out and churning it out with the facts and the charts and the graphs and everything to back him up. He just kept churning this material out. And he did this because he believed in the cause. That's why he did it. And that's why in his new book, which is not, by the way, a collection of transcripts from our show. Good heavens, who'd want to read that? But it's a collection of these amazing writings he did over those years and also beyond those years, uh, just the writings he did against Paul Krugman because Krugman kind of represents Keynesianism in America, and Bob just refuted him time after time after time. In that book, which has a foreword by Ron Paul, uh, Dr. Paul starts by saying, if there was an economist who was more prolific during those crucial months when we most needed it, if there was anyone more prolific than Bob Murphy, I don't know who it was. Now, given Bob's genius, he could be employed anywhere he wants to. He could be employed at the most elite universities, if he would just say what they wanted him to say. But he won't do it because he couldn't live with himself. Not to mention, Bob holds very strict views on whether a person is allowed to accept taxpayer funds in compensation. And that, of course, greatly diminishes the number of universities where he could be employed. He's taught at Hillsdale College. He's right now at the Free Market Institute at Texas Tech University as a research assistant professor. Now, I happen to think he's not correct in this view, and he actually debated Walter Block on this question on this very program, and I'll link to that episode as well on the show notes page. But he has principles. In fact, even if he's going to be speaking at a place where they're they're going to pay him with taxpayer funds, he's really not going to do that. He actually has principles that he lives his life by. He doesn't just write theoretical treatises about these principles. He lives them in his own life. And speaking of of treatises and theory, well, Bob is one of the best we've got in terms of what would a society without the state look like? How would this be handled? How would that be handled? How would this be handled? How would that be handled? Now, I can do a little bit of that, but I'll be honest with you, I get stumped. I mean, I know there's an answer, but I don't always know what the answer is. But Bob does. Bob does know what the answer is. Now, I'm not saying that there's never been any question that he couldn't answer. I mean, he doesn't know everything there is to know about every single field. But within his field, within economics 
and within libertarian theory, I've never been able to stump them. Not that I've been trying, but I just mean in the course of conversations over years and years and years, I've never been able to stump him. And he's a guy you ought to know. And it always surprises me. I have people who follow me very – they say they follow me very closely. And I say, well, you know, Bob Murphy and I – who? Wait, hold on a minute. Wait, you're following me and you don't know Bob Murphy? No, 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 no. That's, that's not right. So Bob has also helped to get ordinary people to be able to understand really important ideas more easily. So to that end, he's written study guides to several of the major, major treatises in the tradition of Austrian economics. So he wrote – and you can get these for free. You can get them for free. I'll link to them on the show notes page. He did a study guide to human action by Mises, the theory of money and credit by Mises, and man, economy, and state by Rothbard. He wrote a book called Choice, distilling Mises down to a manageable 300 pages that a reasonably educated person could absorb and learn from. He wrote a book on health care and what's wrong with it that he co-authored with a, an ER doctor, Doug McGuff, called The Primal Prescription. He wrote two books in the Politically Incorrect Guide series. He also wrote, as I was talking about uh, theory, he wrote a, a little book, just two essays called Chaos Theory that spell out the blueprint of how Bob expects things to work in the absence of the state. And he's modified that a bit in the journals over the years. He's got a paper in, in, the, in the online journal, Libertarian Papers, elaborating on his original positions. But this is a guy then who's super smart, who when he was needed the most, rose to the occasion and produced an enormous amount of output and who has just helped an enormous number of people learn really, really important material. Not to mention he's got serious publications. I mean, he has a couple of publications in journals where the referee was none other than Paul Samuelson, the most significant American Keynesian by far signed off on Bob's uh, articles just because they were, they were that good that even Paul Samuelson had to say they're that good. Now, Bob has had in his career, he's had the opportunity to work with a number of different institutions. So the Independent Institute, the uh, Institute for Energy Research, he's co-authored articles with people uh, at the Cato Institute. He's had a fairly wide reach, but at the same time, he's grossly underrated. And in my opinion, he is head and shoulders intellectually above virtually anybody at any of these think tanks. He happens to be a senior fellow of the Mises Institute, which, of course, given the unfortunate institutional rivalries that exist, and by which I mean just outright hatred of the Mises Institute for preposterous reasons, well, you got to keep these Mises people at arm's length. And so, you know, Bob does not get some of the recognition that he deserves because, you know, he hangs out with people like me. And, you know, I'm, you know, this Woods character is pretty disreputable. But, this does not phase him in the slightest. He just soldiers on. He just continues writing his blog posts over at consultingbyrpm.com slash blog. He continues churning out the material. He, he does work that, that you and I don't even know about. He's writing reports and doing private consulting and, and uh, doing assignments for different think tanks. He's doing all this other stuff that we never even find out about. And meanwhile, every single week he does Contra Krugman, the podcast with me, and he's always got valuable stuff to say. He's got just a steel trap for a brain. I'm not sure what that expression means, but I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> and what a privilege and a thrill it is to be able to work with somebody like this, 
to do a cruise with this guy every year and also see how much fun the guy is. You would think somebody like this would just be insufferable, right? The, the guy I'm describing to you sounds like, in principle, you like him. In practice, he'd probably make you crazy. But actually, he's an even better human being than he is a scholar. Uh, very warm, always available to talk, even about personal things. Just a good, good guy all around. And when you support Bob and you, you buy his books and stuff like that, it's going to a good, good, good cause. Uh, namely, this good man uh, who is just a, he's just a thrill to know and to be able to work with. And we are lucky that we have Bob Murphy. We are lucky we have Bob Murphy in this movement. All right, folks. Now, before we wrap up for today, and I hope you'll pardon this uh, exercise in um, giving thanks, but I think from time to time we need to do it. I have a website here from a fellow who listens to the show, and he says, listening to your podcast over the years, you were a key inspiration to start my business just over three years ago, and now it's grown to the point where it's what I do for a living instead of side money as it started out, so thank you. Well, how about that? Well, his website is thevoguevintage.com, T-H-E-V-O-G-U-E-V-I-N-T-A-G-E.com, thevoguevintage.com. He says, it's for my online retail business. I sell antiques and vintage items online via eBay and also have a brick-and-mortar location in North Carolina. So he liked the idea of having an easy website people could use to see everything about his business in one place. So I'm going to link to it, of course, at tomwoods.com slash 1357, but when you, you go there, it's just all kinds of stuff. It's just rare, unique, one-of-a-kind vintage and retro items and antiques. I can't even summarize it. You've got to go visit it for yourself. It is stuff that you wouldn't expect to find, but then you see it and you say, I think I'd like to have this. So check out the VogueVintage.com. Uh, this fellow got his hosting through my link, so he gets this nice shout-out. He'll get some nice traffic over there, plus a link on my site, which will help him in the search results. Membership in my private bloggers group. So if you ever need help, you know, we're, we're in there to help you. And uh, tutorials to get you up and running. So if you want all those bonuses, then get your hosting through my link. Here are the instructions. Get them at tomwoods.com slash publicity. We'll see you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free. And we'll see you next time. 